Hebrews chapter 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. At first he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where, the, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Good morning, I'm Aaron Johnson, the associate pastor here uh, at Stapleford Baptist Church, and I'm here by kind invitation of the elders. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, so, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10. Now, In 1 Timothy chapter 15, the Apostle Paul describes himself as the worst of sinners. The worst of sinners, he says he is. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst. If I was to ask you today, who would you say is the worst of sinners, what would your answer be? Today, who would you say is the worst of sinners? Now, perhaps your mind is, is thinking of a, of, a, of a dictator who has done his, the people of his nation great harm and has, and has imposed great suffering upon his people. Perhaps you're thinking of someone who's deliberately destroyed a national, anth a national icon, such as we've seen in this last week. Ladies and gentlemen, my suggestion is... My suggestion for the worst of sinners today 
is a baby. A baby. Any baby. Your baby. Your grandchild. You, when you were a baby. I would suggest that the baby is the worst of sinners. Despite how angelic they may look in this picture, let me explain. When a baby demands what it wants, and it demands what it wants immediately, regardless of the time of day and night, regardless of the inconvenience to its parents. If they want feeding, when do they want it? Now. If they want changing, when do they want it? Now. If they want attention, when do they want it? Now. If they, if they don't know what they want, when do they want it? Now. No baby was ever taught to be selfish. It came naturally. Babies just naturally are incredibly selfish. And another word for selfishness is sin. Another word for selfishness is sin. We are all born as sinners. We are all experts at it. You see... We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Do you see the difference there? We are, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are naturally sinners. Sin is a big deal to a holy God. A God who is perfect in every way so that by ourselves we could you and I could never have a relationship with a holy God because of the the barrier that we heard about earlier the barrier that our sin creates but because he's a loving God he has dealt with your sin in Romans 5 verse 8 it says God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us while we were still sinners, not when we'd reached perfection, not when we'd reached a, a, a certain amount, not when we'd done a certain amount of good deeds, while we were sinners, Christ died for us to remove that barrier forevermore, the barrier that is between us and God. Now, this is a great verse to put your name in it, a great verse to, to make it personal so that you, we should all read it as God demonstrates his own love for me, that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Each of you should be able to say that. Put your name in the verse. God demonstrates his own love for me, said everybody, that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And the writer to the Hebrews here wants you to understand that your sin has been totally dealt with. It's been totally dealt with through and only through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, press on with him, love him, and ask the Holy Spirit to make you more like him day by day. So we'll look at this passage, verses 1 to 18, under three titles. We'll consider Christ's sacrifice overshadowed the law, Christ's sacrifice set aside the law, and Christ's sacrifice completed the law. So number one, Christ's sacrifice overshadowed the law. 
Now, a problem that many of us face today, many Christians face, is that we lack assurance in our faith in the Lord Jesus. And that may, might be an issue that some of you have here this morning, this problem of assurance. Are you really saved? Good God. Does God really love me? Because you, you know what? I, I did that thing again yesterday and I, and I lost my temper in that way again this morning. Can God really love me because I'm just so messed up? When we lack assurance, it's usually because we don't really understand what the Lord Jesus has accomplished on the cross and how permanent that is. Now, this lack of assurance, it can make us dwell in self-pity. It can make us feel inadequate against other Christians who we, we feel are much further along the road than we are. Well, the writer wants to boost your confidence. He wants to tell you how, how precious you are in God's sight, how loved you are eternally. And it's not because of the good stuff that you do or the bad stuff that you, you do that the, the break the relationship because the finished work of Christ. It's all about what Jesus has done and his sacrifice on the cross if you are trusting in him. This has been the theme over the last three chapters of Hebrews. Chapter 8 talked about how you have a better covenant in the Lord Jesus. Chapter 9 talked about how Christ, because of Christ, there is a better sanctuary and today we consider how the, through Christ there is a better sacrifice. All these chapters are, are building and building together. So let's read verses 1 to 4 if you have your Bible, please. It won't be on the screen. Let's, uh, I want to encourage you to, to have a Bible in your hand. So Hebrews chapter 4, 1 to 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make, per make perfect those who are drawn near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer feel guilty about their sins." But these sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sin. So it's talking about how the Old Testament sacrifices were just a shadow of what Jesus would accomplish on the cross. I'm sure many of you have heard of Aesop's fables. Aesop was a slave and a storyteller in Greece about 600 years before the Lord Jesus was born on earth. He wrote many, many short stories, usually with a moral or a point to them. One such story was the wolf and the lion. Let me tell you, one evening, see, all perk up there, oh, story time, oh, nice. One evening, a wolf left his lay. He was in fine spirits and he was hungry. As he walked through the woods, the setting sun cast his shadow far on the ground so that it looked like he was a hundred times bigger than he really was. Why, said the wolf proudly, see how big I am. I should be the king of the animals, not the lion. It should be me. And at that moment, 
an immense shadow blotted him out immediately as a lion pounced on him and ate him. At that moment, the wolf changed his mind about who was the greatest. Aesop said that the moral of the story is the wolf should not have trusted his shadow. And that's the lesson that you and I can learn from this passage. Don't trust in shadows, which was the Old Testament sacrifices, only trust in the reality of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. The Old Testament law was only a shadow, nothing more and nothing less. It was just a shadow of the good things that would come through Christ. The Old Testament sacrifices which the priest performed day after day, year after year, were just shadows of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus on the cross. And because it was a shadow, it could never really do anything. It could never really take away the sins of the people. Imagine a dearly loved relative of yours has been living overseas for a number of years. And they're coming home. How exciting. So you arrive at the airport in good time and, and you're, you're waiting and you're waiting. And when the, the first few people from their flight start coming through, you can start the excitement really building in your heart. You, you're jumping up and down with excitement. They're going to come, they're going to come, they're going to come. And so uh, out of the arrival gate, they eventually come and they fling their arms out open and they run towards you and you dive down on the ground and you embrace their shadow. Instead of them. That, that, that's ridiculous, isn't it? You would never embrace the shadow of a person when the real person is there. And so it is. Don't think about going back to the old ways, says the writer to the Hebrews, because the old priestly ways, the old priestly sacrifices are just a shadow. Do not embrace them. They will not help you. Don't even think about it. Now, you and I are probably not, much, not in much danger of going to somewhere where they would practice Jewish sacrifices. But I, they don't do that now since the temple was destroyed in AD 70. But the point is, you and I are not in danger of trying to find somewhere where they do actually sacrifice bulls and lambs and doves. We're not in much danger of that. But we are all in danger of drifting away from the church altogether and fooling ourselves that we can be right with God because really we're jolly, nice, respectable people. We're all in danger of that. That's salvation by works. It never worked. It never will. Don't even consider it, says the writer to the Hebrews. Don't even consider it says the writer to the church in Stapleford. Do not drift from the Lord Jesus. These things are shadows. They are not the, the reality that's found in Christ. The Old Testament sacrifices don't cleanse anyone, anyone's conscience. You see, the, the problem is that when somebody saw, that when somebody confessed their sins and they saw a bull being being sacrificed, they, they, they understood that sin was a big deal to God, but it didn't take away the guilt. 
and guilt from our sins is crippling. It can be crippling, can't it? That's why the sacrifices had to be repeated year after year after year. Because then everyone knew they weren't achieving the real purpose. Verse 4 says, It's impossible for the blood of, blood of bulls and goats to take away our sin. Well, why not? Why not? If the sins are, are transferred to the, the bull or the goat, as happened on the Day of Atonement, well, why, why won't God accept that? Why won't God accept the, your sins being transferred to an animal and then the animal being sacrificed? Well, why isn't that good enough anymore? Simply because a bull or a goat is not a suitable sacrifice for you. It's not a suitable sacrifice for a person. Think of Burglar Bill. Burglar Bill. Burglar Bill has been caught breaking into somebody's house and he's arrested. He's taken to court and he stands in front of the judge and the judge says, Burglar Bill, you have pleaded guilty to the charges brought before this court. You are a habitual criminal who accepts arrest as an occupational hazard. Do you know where that quote is from? Yaha, well done. Therefore, we commit you to the maximum term allowed for these offences. You will go to prison for five years. And Burglar Bill, his head goes down, his shoulders go down at the thought of prison. And then he, he has an idea. Please, Your Honour, I understand that, but perhaps, perhaps my cat could go to prison instead of me. What's the judge going to say? <laughs> no judge in the world is going to accept that, is it? Why? Because an animal is not a suitable sacrifice for the person. Yeah? That makes sense? An animal is not a suitable sacrifice for a person. And that's the point that the writer is making to the Hebrews. An animal could never take away your sins or mine because they are they're not a suitable substitute. Only a man, only a perfect man, only somebody who's never sinned themselves could take the punishment for your sins. You understand that if Jesus had ever sinned when he died on the cross, he would have taken the punishment for his own sins and you would still bear yours. But because he was the sinless saviour, he could take your punishment for he had none due himself. Only through faith in his blood can you be cleansed from your sins, truly cleansed through faith in the blood of Jesus. This is a, a wonderful saviour that we worship. So number two, Christ's sacrifice set aside the law. Read with me please verse five. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then he said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. Oh, my God. 
First he said, sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here am I, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So verses 5 to 8, 5 to 7, are a quotation from, from where? Look at the end of the quotation, the indented section. Look at the end of the indented section, and you'll see a tiny little letter A that tells you, look down at the bottom of the page, and at the bottom of the page, it tells you that quotation is taken from... Psalm 40, fantastic, verses, verses 6 to 8. This is a psalm of David, but those words could be well ascribed to the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. Both David and Jesus are saying that God never really wanted sacrifices or burnt offerings. He wasn't even pleased with them when they happened. Now, that doesn't mean to say that the old sacrifices were wrong, or the people shouldn't have done them, or, the, or, or even that the people didn't receive any spiritual benefit as they performed these duties. What it does mean is that God doesn't really, God never delighted in the sacrifices as such in themselves. What God was looking for was the heart of obedience in the people. That's what he was after. He was after the heart of obedience. So in verse 7, when Jesus said, I've come to do your will, it means that he went to the cross willingly, both out of obedience to the Father and out of his love for you. That's why Jesus went to the cross in full obedience to the Father and in love for you. So Jesus, the Lord Jesus, was fully obedient even to death on a cross. So that when he died on the cross, and he cried out as recorded in John 19 verse 30, when Jesus cried out, it is finished, then part of what he meant was that the Old Testament sacrifices were finished. Here is the perfect sacrifice on the cross. The Old Testament sacrifices, well, they are finished. They're finished. Their sell-by date has gone. They're worn out and no longer any use. They've been cast aside like an old punctured tire on your car. No use anymore. No use. And verse 10 says that by that will, by Jesus being willing, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy means that we are set apart from sin, or set apart from being accountable, finally and completely. The guilt from our sin, well, it is finished. So through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, in verse 14, is that where I'm up to? Yeah, I need to jump this bit, because it's... There, there we go. Up to, up to number three. Christ's sacrifice completed the law. Read with me, please, verse 11. Day after day, 
every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away our sins. But when, the priest has, when this priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has been made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where, where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sins is no longer necessary. Now, verse 16 looks a little bit familiar. If you were here three weeks ago when I was teaching on Hebrews 8, you might recognize those verses that we looked at in, a, a, in, the, in Hebrews chapter 8, and the writer is quoting them yet again. Where do they come from? Look at the tiny little italic letters at the end, and then jump to the bottom of the page, and it tells you it comes from Jeremiah 31, 31, that's right. Jeremiah 31, which says, this is the covenant I will make. So God is promising that one day he'll make a new covenant with the people. And after that time, says the Lord, I will then put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. So Almighty God promised through the Old Testament that he would make a new covenant with his people. And it would be based on our faith in the Lord Jesus, not obedience to the law, which can be done with a hard heart. You see, you can obey the law without actually worshipping God as you do it. Think of a teenager who's been asked to wash the dishes after tea one night. One of them will do, them, do it willingly and happily and say, yeah, no problem. The other one will throw a stop, slam the door, but still do the dishes. Now, which one is the parent going to be most pleased with? It, it, it's obvious, isn't it? You can obey God's law with a willing heart or with a grumpy heart. But God is only pleased with one of those, with the willing heart. Yeah, that makes sense? God's only, only happy when you, when you obey him with a willing heart. And so God will put his law in our hearts, so that we want to obey Him. This is what the Holy Spirit is creating inside of you, that you, you will want to obey God's law. And the truth is that even when we fail to obey God's law, we still wish we had. We still wish we had obeyed His law because we're, we're disappointed in ourselves, aren't we? God puts His law in our hearts so that we will want to obey Him. And because of this new covenant that Lord Jesus has accomplished, we don't have to, to rummage around trying to do something to impress God because Christ has done everything necessary. So remember, it says in this passage, verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. He stands and he stands because the work is never done.
But, verse 12, when this priest, Jesus, has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, does he still stand doing that? Not at all. He can sit. The Lord Jesus can sit down because he's finished from the work of saving your soul. He can sit down at the right hand of Almighty God in splendor and majesty because, well, as he's sitting down, he's resting from the work of saving your soul. He's resting because the work on the cross, it is finished. It's finished. Hallelujah. So verse 17, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. It says, I will remember your sins no more. I don't think, I think the Bible teaches that God does not actually forget your sins. I don't think the Bible teaches that God actually forgets your sins. But what he does do is choose to treat you as if you hadn't sinned. As if he had forgotten, but doesn't really. I think that's what the Bible teaches, that he's, God has not actually forgotten your sins, but he chooses to treat you as if you had never sinned on that day of judgment. Therefore, you are forgiven. You, even you, even the things that you've done and said today and yesterday and the day before, you are forgiven. All of them, you are forgiven. Totally and permanently. God will never bring them back again. He'll never say, remember that thing you said last week? We do that at home. God never does. God never does. You're totally and permanently forgiven because there is no other sacrifice that can be made since the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, your sins are a big deal to a holy God. They really are. But praise his name that the price has been paid. The price for all of your sins has been paid by the death of his precious son on that cross. Your sins are paid in full. So to go back to where we were earlier when I talked about lacking assurance, if you understand the cross, you can have confidence. Let us approach the throne of Christ boldly, the Hebrews said in chapter 4. We can have full confidence and assurance that God really does love you. And when he sees you, he sees you cloaked in the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ so that his arms are open wide to say, you've messed up, you're sorry, let's start again. Let's start again, because he's that wonderful saviour to sinners such as you and I. What should be our response? Our response should be to worship him. Our response should be to obey the things that he said in this book. And our response should be, to tell those people whom we love but don't know Christ that there is a wonderful Savior who loves them 
tell them about Jesus so that they too can be forgiven and loved by Almighty God.